Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today we have on my good friend, Taylor McWilliams. Taylor is currently an upper extremity fellow with ATI Physical Therapy. He graduated with his bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota and his doctor of physical therapy degree from the Mayo Clinic School of Health Sciences. He completed a sports physical therapy residency with Fairview Health Services last year and dove straight into the fellowship program. His clinical interests include shoulder and elbow rehab, return to throwing programs, sports rehab and performance, and knee injuries. The reason I like Taylor so much is he enjoys watching and playing any and all sports. He likes to read, he likes to go on hikes with his wife and dog. He's just a good guy, good friend, and an awesome PT. Today we talk about a lot of different topics, so make sure you listen to the whole episode. We're also really excited to tell our audience our Athletes of Asthma course is finally coming together and is ready to come out next month. Make sure you tune into the show notes to get a link for more updates on the course. Let's continue to grow the mind, optimize performance, and change the system. That's 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 life though, man. That's life. It's like you can do everything like preparing it perfectly. All right, I'm gonna get in this field that's growing, job security is through the roof, like just locked in, whatever, do all this schooling to get here. And then you get there and you get punched in the throat, and then what? Like yeah. I don't know. It's just that's honestly like just the most fun thing about it is the variability and having to adapt to everything and like no matter how much you prepare for anything, same with sports, like no matter how much you practice, how much you prepare, like an injury could happen or oh, yeah. like a pandemic could happen or whatever could happen to totally shift your entire universe. And yeah. I don't know. It, it's something that I, I just like, I kind of geek out and really love learning about just like human behavior um, and psychology and stuff. And this is definitely a time that's um, putting that to the test where you're just like seeing how different people respond to things. and. Um, I don't know, just, just seeing how people come out of this, because as we were talking about a little bit before, like there's, there's definitely some positives you can take away from it. There's positives as far as, um, putting things in perspective and understanding what's really important, like time with family and, and loved ones and things like that. Um, and then obviously there's a bunch of negatives and, and like you said, there's people that are on death row as a result of this. So it's, um, I don't know, it, it just, it, it's very interesting to see all of humankind having to adapt to something at the same time. Yeah. And just to go off that too, everyone's going through the same challenge right now. And are you going to be the one who perseveres and comes out ahead? Or are you just going to fall victim to it and fall behind? Because there's no excuse. Every one of your peers is going through the same thing you are right now. We all have the same challenge. There's no like, region of the country that I mean some regions are worse but everyone has it everyone's dealing with it yeah and at the end of the day it's like how do you handle this adversity and where do you go from there and that's going to say a lot about the people and companies and opportunities that succeed and the ones that don't well and like you guys are saying like you know 
kind of like what you're talking about is like who's gonna you know who's coming out ahead who's coming out behind same thing goes for like companies is like how are they adjusting to the difference in lifestyle and and kind of like going back towards what you guys are talking about like you have this summer to kind of build your business i'm i'm really interested to see and like i'm curious to hear what you guys say is like i mean i think that virtual pt and like virtual training and virtual performance um you know exercise prescription stuff like that is going to become bigger because like right now it has to but i feel like it's kind of one of those things like because like it has to it'll probably just kind of keep going in that direction like people kind of get useless lifestyle and i feel like that business will boom not to say like you know and to i don't know like like the viewers but like I don't think you can ever replace in-person PT for a lot of different reasons, especially because like really getting like your hands on, um, you know, like the instruction, the education, like viewing things like, like right in front of you, all that stuff. But I do think there are scenarios where like virtual PT and, and performance is going to definitely like boom. I mean, like, are you guys like preparing for that? I'm assuming, or like, what are you guys kind of doing to like get ready for all of that? Absolutely. That's, that's kind of where we're headed and um, doing different online courses and webinars and things like that to try to, I mean, I, I think it's something where it was already kind of headed in that direction, in my opinion, just in general with business as like, as technology continues to get better and better, it allows you to reach a broader audience quicker. And it's something where I 100% agree. I think that if someone comes and sees me versus me doing something online with somebody, it's going to be a much better experience, better outcomes, um, building better rapport, all that, all that good stuff. But when it comes to being able to reach a broad audience and being um, essentially, I don't know if weatherproof is the right way, but like a pandemic comes or something else happens, you're still able to help a lot of people because you have that platform. So that's kind of what Tom and I have been working on is trying to establish that. So like, whether this goes on longer than people think or whether this happens again or whether it's just easier for people to access things online, like just being a little bit more robust in that where we have different options. Because um, I, I do think that with the technology, like I said, things were headed in this trajectory. I think this was just like a really extra push where now you see a bunch of companies who are saying, you know what, our employees are still pretty productive uh, working remotely. Like maybe we'll make this the standard moving forward, or maybe they come in only one day a week or whatever it might be, because frankly for businesses, it's a lot cheaper too, where most people in my family are able to work remote right now for their businesses to not need all those different office buildings downtown where real estate is at a premium. Like, I mean, why not? Why not have your people work remotely when you're getting just as good of efficiency numbers? Yeah. And to go off of that, for a traditional PT, it's not that every visit needs or should be virtual. It could be if every other visit, you just do a virtual visit with your PT. And for the PT, it's such a benefit because you have an option to work from home now. And traditionally, that's not in the model because you have to be present. So if it was like every Friday morning, you just stay home, you do four to six follow-ups, you just check in on your patient, if you're educating them well enough in person, they should know how to kind of adjust and do things on their home or over over the computer. And just everybody wins. You don't have to drive in for your visit. The PT can have the option from working from home or remotely. 
and it just seems like it doesn't have to go all virtual or go all back to in person. Like we can find a 50-50 split or 80-20 split that benefits everybody. And the companies that take advantage of that are going to be ahead or the individuals that take advantage of that are going to be ahead in the next three to six months. I, I really think so. Well, yeah, and I, I think necessity breeds innovation too, where 100%. like once, once something has to happen, then you realize that it might have actually been the best thing you could have been doing all along. Yeah. yeah. The biggest yeah. thing is everyone knows how to use Zoom now. So there's no excuse to like, oh, I don't know my computer or whatever. It's like everyone who's like typically 40 and up who might struggle with technology, they know how to use Zoom. They know how to use their FaceTime. Like, that barrier has been eliminated and now we can make progress off of that well instead of waiting for this next generation who's pretty tech savvy. Yeah, I mean, some of us at 27 still struggle with technology. As <laughs> for example, but... Um, Evidenced by us moving over to the Zoom call. My <laughs> <laughs> um, real thought is you can't be great at everything. So if you're great at the things that are important, your life's going to be a lot more fulfilled and if you're not great at tech, you're going to be just fine as long as you're great in other things. So there's still hope for you, Taylor. Hey, I went into PT because there wasn't a lot of technology. You just put your hands on people, give people exercise, and you just write down what you did. You put it out in a Word document if you really wanted to. But, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think – I do think that probably the, the one area, like, where it will be a, an absolute necessity for in, in-person PT to continue will for sure be post-surgical. I mean, there's just so much stuff that – um, and I, and I think that's really where PTs make their bread and butter, you know, and also the, the, the non-operative is important too, but nowadays, like you can probably go online and be like, I have back pain and there's going to be 30 to 40,000 different videos of like, Hey, here's what you do, whether or not. And again, I mean, the PT, like going to a PT is going to be better for that in terms of making it individualized to you, but still mm-hmm. you can probably get somewhere versus post-surgical. I mean, the precautions, the indications, I mean, probably needing some hands-on passive range of motion, answering all the questions, you know, teaching them gait training if it's necessary, teaching them how to put a sling on for their shoulder, whatever it is. Like, I just don't think that that's possible via, you know, a webcam video. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be like mistakes and it, it just, I feel like it, for everyone's life would be easier. But then I think, you know, once somebody's kind of in like that general strengthening phase, they've got past that initial healing part, you know, or even like, let's say if it's a rotator cuff repair and they have to be six weeks of not moving, depending on what your surgeon calls for, mm-hmm. maybe they're doing a virtual visit once every little bit, just to like check in, be like, Hey, you know, do you have any questions? You know, like, that'd be a great time for a virtual visit. But once people are past like that passive range of motion phase and doing strength, and I do think that virtual visits, you know, can, can definitely bridge the gap, you know, where I feel like a lot of the times, when I was um, just like in a, in a clinic and I saw people once a week, you know, I was preparing them for like the progression throughout that week. They're like, all yeah. right, you're going to do this. And then maybe like two days later, you're going to try this versus if you give them like a virtual call, you might just be like, Hey, how'd that feel the last three days? Cool. Sounds like you are ready. Move on to this next one that I showed you. If you need me to, I can show you in the video, but like try that. And then we'll talk next week. Or, you know, you have people who are like, Oh, it hurt all week. I kept doing it though, because I wasn't sure. And I was just going to ask you when I saw you and I was like, no, like this would be a great time to have like a virtual visit. Call me and be like, Hey, this hurts when I do this last two days. Be like, all right, 
like let's not do that we'll check it again when you come back in but like maybe try this instead for the time being you know 100 percent. i'm glad you pointed that out because it is different based on the situation the client is in post-op you yeah i mean for the most part you really can't um they're going to get the best experience no matter what i think in person and i think in post-op it's basically necessity um but then some of those situations, like you said, like a low back pain or like chronic neck pain or things like that. I mean, education is arguably the most important part with all of that. And you can educate on any platform that can be face to face, that could be done virtually, that can be whatever. Um, so I think it's very dependent on the diagnosis. Um, but yeah, I think, I think no matter what, it's going to be a little bit better in person, regardless, because of all the nonverbal communication, isn't it like, I don't know, I'm throwing out a percentage, but 70% of communication is nonverbal or something like that, some super high number. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that that just can't be portrayed on video. Like for example, right now, like it's fun chopping it up with you, but like it'd be more fun and easier if we were actually physically in the same spot. Right. Um, just cause there's like a lag time in video and audio and things like that. And you can't see all nonverbals and hand movements and those things. So. Um, I, I definitely think that any type of interaction is going to be still best in person. It's just really cool that there's this advancement where it doesn't always have to be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's where the split comes in where it's like, not every visit is going to be virtual. It, some of them yeah. can be, or a small percentage or even half, but if you can, because sometimes the argument, it's all like all virtual or all in person. It's like, that's not the argument. Like you can do 80, 20 or 20, 80, whatever yeah. it might be and figure out a way. And another thing with the, the uh, post operative too, is like, if it's day one or day two and they like can't leave their house, you can do a quick zoom call with them, like check out and make sure they're okay and give them a couple things because they physically can't leave their house, even yeah. though they're normally like a healthy 40 year old person. So it just gives them more opportunities to help people and it decreases the obstacles in the way to getting care. So I really hope it's a huge benefit to the healthcare industry because it definitely needs some change in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think right now, like you said, it's a lot of like all or nothing. Like you either work for a company that doesn't use it at all, or, you know, maybe your entire business is based off of like virtual visits. But I do think that, you know, you're going to probably start to see a lot more incorporation of virtual visits within companies that were primarily all in person, you know, for like that reason. So it'll be interesting to see like how it all plays out. But PT is such an interesting one because everyone thinks of it just like in person, like to go to see your PT, but there are options now to be virtual or, you know, send things over email or whatever, you know, videos, YouTube, so many different mediums and you just got to figure out what's best for you that's the end of the day like anything else if you pick up things pretty quick like go do virtual and if you're more of a hands-on make sure you focus on on getting in and getting that hands-on experience to to pivot off that a little bit um we've been talking about covid and the impacts for far too long uh what is your favorite condition or diagnosis or post-op to treat where do you feel like it's like Oh yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse. I'm about to hit this out of the park. Oh, my favorite. Um, let's see here. I mean, as odds it is, somebody who loves shoulders and elbows, my favorite is probably it has to, like is like meniscal 
surgery, whether it's a meniscectomy or a meniscal repair. I don't know why. I just find them so interesting. And um, I don't know. I've, I feel like I've had like decent success. I'm no like guru, but I mean, I, I feel like I've had pretty good success and um, just like progressing as necessary and, you know, getting creative with exercises. Um, unfortunately, like I didn't have, I feel like Tommy John or, you know, like a UCL reconstruction is probably going to end up probably being my favorite. Um, I didn't get to see enough of them. Um, I do. I mean, I love like upper extremity rehab. I just saw like such a wide variety and I feel like the shoulder is just one of those weird, like mystery complex joints that I feel like I can't say like, for me, when I heard you say like hit it out of the park, I was like, well, I don't think I can hit anything out of the park. <laughs> of the shoulder. I can yeah. definitely like get them probably where they need to be. There'll probably be a hiccup here and there. Um, you know, there's a wide variety of things that go wrong, but I do love like upper extremity rehab and all that, but I think if I had to like pick one, I was like, yeah, I probably feel like best about it. It'd probably be some of the meniscus. That's sweet. I was I was gonna either say Achilles or ACL. What about you, TV? Yeah, those are all good ones. So when I first started out, uh, I would have patients who'd come in and I wouldn't have their doctor's notes, and they're like, oh, I had like a meniscus surgery. I'm like, okay, like was that a scope or did they like repair it? And like the patient went, no, I'm like, okay, this makes a really big difference in all the advice I give you. So then you have to like call the doctor and like, just like check in and make sure and all this stuff. Um, Meniscectomy, I could have you running in four weeks. Yeah. I'll lose my job. <laughs> well, and then sometimes you get people who don't follow their precautions and they come in with like all crutches and it's like, oh my gosh, we got to like start from square one here. Like you need to use your crutches for like six to eight weeks your doctor didn't tell you this like or you didn't hear this right and uh you get all kinds of things especially in like i was in hugo which is like a little bit more like outer metro you yeah. just all different types of, of people and, and things but uh I, that just reminded me i had this patient where uh he had a distal biceps repair and this was like two days or maybe three days post-op that I was seeing him. So I'm like, okay, I kind of have a general idea of like what we're going to do while we're at. Comes in with the repaired arm, no sling, nothing, carrying like a backpack that looked like heavy, like dude was flexing to hold it. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, what is going on right now? I'm going to document uh, this right now because if this blows, I want to have a reason why. I was going to say, I'm not losing my job on this. No, I do. A, I do appreciate a good, like, good old classic ankle sprain every now and then, though, too, because I feel like you can find so many different ways to just like challenge balance. Um, you know, really just challenge their like stability and their neuromuscular control in their ankle. And you know, you don't have to just do ankle stuff. Like you're doing a lot of like hip and knee strengthening as well. So I feel like I feel like I enjoy that. But I do. I mean, the shoulder. I feel like you can get creative, but at the same time. I feel like you just have to stick to the basics with the shoulder, which is probably why it's like, it's not as like exciting. Again, I, it's I, not as sexy. It's not as sexy. No, because like usually when you do try and do something like sexy with the shoulder, one, they probably get hurt or two, it's like, is this really like that applicable to like what you do, you mm -hmm. know? So shoulder mobility, if it's really tough getting back, it's really a challenge for me as a PT. Like I can stretch it all I want. I can do all this manual stuff. I can give them a bunch of different exercises. But I get really frustrated when they have trouble getting back over a head or behind their head. Um, and those are some of my biggest challenges with post-op is those rotator cuffs that they can't get their motion back as, as fast as you wanted to. 
I, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the shoulder, like, I think that as far as mobility, I think that with the ankle, like if someone comes in and um, whether it was like chronic ankle sprain or they're pretty far out post-op um, and they're lacking dorsiflexion, I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. Because <laughs> like, yeah, you just mold the heck out of the ankle, manipulate it, get them doing some things. And I feel like that comes pretty quick and you just like feel good about yourself. You get that like instant gratification. Whereas the shoulder, it's like, uh, let's like work through the pack and the lats and kind of hope this comes. But I don't know. I would say with that ankle is probably the easiest to hammer home and get like five degrees. Yeah. The other thing with the ankle too is you can do any type of squat or lunge or balance drill or glute strengthening and it's going to directly or indirectly help the ankle too. So your, your options for treatment are so much bigger than, than some of the other joints. Um, yeah. So like the sky's kind of a limit with that. Yeah. And I mean, and like going back to like what you guys are talking about with the shoulder, I agree that like post-operative, like trying to get some of that mobility back. But one of the biggest things that I learned over the last year, though, is a lot of the times people lack the mobility, not because of like, we'll say like, um, you know, a restraint because of scar tissue or tight capsule, or they just can't get there like anatomically. Um, a lot of the times it's truly because they don't have like if you ask them to isolate like their serratus and upwardly rotate their scap, couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Or they don't have like the stability where their glenohumeral joint on that cup is just moving all around. So like if you're trying to like go up and if it's rolling but not having that slide down, I mean, you could try all you want. You could try every joint move. You could try every stretch in the book and it won't work. So I mean like the idea of micro stability, I think kind of became a, a bigger concept that I grasped onto that helped. But 100%, 100%. that's yeah that's huge and that that was like definitely something where when i realized that like especially with anything post-op if they're not able to get to a certain range of motion a lot of cases it's because their body doesn't feel comfortable and stable and strong in that range of motion so yeah. they're not going to let them get it so then like every like neurophysiologically things are going to tense up and not let them get there. So you can hammer away at the soft tissue, but if you don't get them stronger in that range of motion, their body's still going to always tighten back up yeah. and not allow it. So yeah, I, I do that hundred percent. I had a, um, so I had a kid when I was in South Carolina that was 15 pitcher had a, um, like had a scope to potentially repair a, a slap lesion, which, um, is not really recommended if you're trying to actually like throw. Um, but he went in and the, the, the physician luckily just went in, saw it, just cleaned out like debris, didn't repair anything, but yeah. pretty much had an arthroscopically confirmed slap tear. And he was struggling. Like he would always complain of like not being able to get his arm overhead and not being able, like you said, like kind of like reach behind him or actually rotate as far as he wanted. And at first, like I was doing all this, like kind of like soft tissue to the muscles um, I really wasn't doing joint mobs. I knew he had plenty there, but like trying to like soft tissue, like getting him to stretch like every which way. And it ended up that he would always kind of say like the next couple of days he was tighter. And the biggest thing was you were, rem I, well, not you. I was removing his stability by stretching and extending his muscles and like letting them relax where I then like for a couple of weeks, I did like, the, I mean, I'm talking the most basic rotator cuff exercises with like isometrics and ER, IR doing you know like lying on his back doing like these little like circles in each direction just mm -hmm. working on like the tiny little motions of the rotator cuff didn't have him stretch 
I mean, I would maybe get rid of like a, a trigger point if you had it, but I didn't have them structure anything. Huge difference. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't say like it, you know, I made him like perfect, but it, it just, it made a difference. Like we started actually going the right direction versus him coming in every week and being like, yeah, no change or yeah, I actually feel tighter. And you're kind of like, what the hell? But, yeah. That's my favorite and also most frustrating part of PT. It's like this big jigsaw puzzle. And sometimes you can try the most unrelated thing and it works. And it's like, oh, why did that work? I have no idea, but it did. At other times where you've seen a person so many times, it's like, okay, this isn't working. And I know we need to go to step three, four, or five. And that's actually really going to help step one, even though it might be counterintuitive the untrained eye like getting more mobility by stretching it's making it worse let's make them more stable and then worry about the mobility it's like the most frustrating and most rewarding thing at the same time yeah so that's why i just like yeah that's why yeah (laughs) just just roll with it man what what uh injuries did you guys have like in sports growing up any major ones yeah, so my sophomore year in high school, I wasn't an all-star like Taylor was in high school, but my Not sophomore true. year, I broke my ankle at the beginning of football, and then I got a hernia in basketball. So, like, out of six months, I was out, like, four of them with, like, sprain or a broken ankle you can't do anything with, and then a hernia. Hernia was the worst one. I would never recommend anyone getting a hernia. It was the most pain I think I've ever been. You, you don't recommend them seeking that out? No. Okay. And, uh, I'll make sure I don't like that. Like, that I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll document that. <laughs> Those are my two biggest ones. And I don't even know how much PT was even advocated for me, like from my doctors or from anyone. Or I don't yeah. know even better. Like, just thought you like give them back to the sport and kind of work. I don't know. I would treat it way differently now, obviously. But how about you? I so when I was younger maybe like junior high so I broke both arms twice but that's not really like a something you like rehab out of um and then I had a a major chest chest surgery but nothing as far as like my lower extremities have been pretty lucky um obviously sprained ankles and basic stuff but uh never an ACL and never an Achilles would be the last thing that I would want to get like I I would rather tear the same ACL twice in a row, then rupture my Achilles. Yeah, I'm going to pass on the Achilles as well. Um, <laughs> so pass, pass on the Achilles rupture and pass on the hernia. the hernia. You heard it here on the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Yeah, yeah. you know what not to – yeah, don't volunteer for that. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I, I was actually really lucky. I really didn't have any major injuries um, – I really the biggest thing what I mean and what inspired me like most people like you usually get inspired to do PT probably because you had an injury I only had like some shoulder pain from throwing as a kid probably just throwing too much didn't have good strength in my rotator cuff but I agree Brad I didn't have any docs that really advocated or, or sorry time I forget who said it but like I didn't have a doc that advocated for PT they're all like here here's a painkiller like oh just and stop throwing so much and you're like that's not gonna fix that you're just hiding it and eventually, eventually I went to a PT and I mean it was it was great. I can actually, as a PT who still works at IAM, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their name, but um, they still work. Uh, you can tell us after team. after the show. Yeah, but we, um, so that was like my biggest injury. Oddly enough, or I should say my only injury, my, oddly enough, my biggest injury came outside of like high school, you know, varsity sports. 
it came when I was training for my marathon. I was running down a hill, like not like purposely like running down hills, it was just part of the path that I had chosen. I ran down a hill. It was near the end of like a 12 mile like training run. I was getting a little tired. Kind of let my body go down the hill, didn't really control it. I actually tore my ACL training for a dang marathon. Like, who does that? Oh, no. Like, yeah. Who does that? It wasn't like. I've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Um, it wasn't like that bad, like in terms of I was able to like keep running. And I didn't really realize it. But then I went in and I started to have pain that was obviously lingering. Got an MRI. And like, I was thinking meniscus because I was like you know, thinking like a plant and a twist. I was like, oh, I totally just like tore my meniscus. And they're like, oh, your meniscus is good, but your ACL is gone. And I was like, what the heck? Who would have guessed that one? Did, did you like, did you like plant and then kind of like hyperextend a little bit? Or did you like, what was the movement? It was, um, what I remember was, yeah, a little like hyperextension, but I, I remember the internal rotation of yeah. like my knee. Like I had kind of like that classic, like valgus, just like quick tweak inside did and, you get pain right away um it hurt and i all of a sudden had a new clicking sound right away like every time i flexed and like landed hence why i thought meniscus like just like the mechanism and then like the new clicking but and it puffed up a little bit but it, I, it was weird it wasn't like your standard which is why i didn't even like think that way so did i repair uh no i didn't i didn't uh, i didn't yeah. think like athletic enough I discovered it actually during PT school because I was training for the marathon during PT school. And that fall, we were in our muscle skeletal class. One of my friends did the uh, Lachman test, and they were like, that doesn't feel right. That's a lot we of movement, like, man. Side, and I was like, <laughs> like, what happened? Brad Dude. and I will go throw the football around, and we'll do, like, some routes with, like, cleats on and stuff. And sometimes he'll throw it, like, a little or a lot of it behind me. And I'll try <laughs> to, like – sorry, Brad, throw you on the bus there. But uh, – and like I'll like like plant and like reach back, and my knee will like hyperextend a little bit, and it's just the scariest feeling because you know like the aftermath if anything ever happens. But whenever I get a little bit of that, it's like oh, dude. I so yeah, like being PTs, I feel like we're like hyper aware. Um, so I'm just like, like I said before, obviously Achilles is like my number one that I want to avoid. And now that I said that, I'll probably go out and play hoops after this and, and rupture it. But um don't say that the, the other one would be acl and so like a year ago uh i was doing some um different like single leg takeoff jumps in my backyard and i was doing barefoot and it was like the grass was like kind of wet it was just like a it was bad decision making you know what i mean and i was going to take off of my right leg and it like i planted it slipped out from under me i like hyper extended i heard a pop and i just like went to the ground and i was like no, I was, just, I, I was like laying in the grass for like, Can't be. I was for like 10 minutes. And I was like, no, like I know the process of recovery from this. Like this is going to suck, whatever. Um, it swelled up a little bit, but like never really had pain. Uh, never limited me from doing anything. Never got it checked out. So I think I'm in the clear, but it was like one of those moments where you're just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Or you're a coper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's very possible. Very possible. Since we're talking about injuries, last night my girlfriend and I were sitting on my front step, and this kid is skateboarding on the sidewalk, and he like hits a lip. He's like 12 years old. He hits a lip directly in front of us, and he just in slow mo like falls to the ground, like part on the grass, part on the cement, 
and like neither of us moved because the last thing the kid wants is like oh are you okay like, you know whatever yeah he had to walk that off and that cool yeah right? no. like, are you okay he's like yeah it's like are you sure and he wasn't bleeding or anything but it's just like my I- reaction was not to move i'm like oh man i don't know if that's good or bad but he is fine Sk- skateboarders go hard man i don't Taylor, did you ever skateboard? I, I never was able to skateboard. No, but here, let me, let me tell you a story that I'm, I'm going to have my, my brother-in-law listen to this podcast because he's going to love this story. So I didn't skateboard at all. Nothing. Didn't snowboard, like no boarding. I grew up like skiing, like water skiing, snow skiing. So not used to having my feet strapped to the same, you know, piece of wood, whatever. It's unnatural. Yeah, no, it is. So I'm at, this is, this is, um, when my, when my wife and I were first dating, first time I had gone to her parents' house to go have dinner, it was for her birthday. And it's like spring, it was like a really nice day. And her brother's like longboarding, he's been doing it for a while. He's going on, like, the hill is like, I don't know, maybe like total of like 20 feet of drop. And when you walk down it, it doesn't seem scary at all. He's like, <laughs> he goes, Taylor, you wanna try longboarding down this hill? I mean, just starting dating, like, my now wife, I was like, I can't say no. Like, you got to, like, yeah, I just got to do it. Go for it. So he, like, lets me play around the cul-de-sac for a little bit. We go up to the top of the hill. I start to go down. And at first, like, again, like, the top of the hill, the the decline's not as steep. So I was, like, thinking, like, ah, this isn't that bad. So, you know, you're starting to pick up more speed as you're going down. Started to get – and here's the thing. Didn't longboard. Started to get apparently what's called the speed wobbles, like where the board yeah. is going like so fast and just shaking like side to side. And I was like, I have no control over this board. Like, what do I do? So I actually like jumped off and started to run down the hill. Everything would have been fine. Let's just say everything would have been fine. I would have ran down the hill, would have decelerated, been like, ooh, that was scary, not doing that again. The board, when I jumped off, must have kicked off to the side, hit the curb, and somehow turned back. As I'm running down, I didn't see it. It came underneath my feet. I stepped on it, launched the skate, like the longboard down the hill. But I ended up smoke, like landing on my back, smoked my back, and somehow the impact bounced me back up onto my feet, and I kept running. Like it was like, no. it was like, you're it lying, never, dude. You're it lying. Like it never happened. I don't know how I didn't hit my head. My entire back was a raspberry. And like, I don't know how I walked away with just scrapes. No helmet, which by the way, for those listening, always wear a helmet. Always wear a helmet. But it was unbelievable. Never touch a longboard. That is hilarious, dude. That, but actually though, was your wife watching at the time or no? Yeah, okay, so that's the thing. So my wife and my wife and now brother-in-law were actually just sitting at the bottom of the cul-de-sac and my wife had her phone out starting to record it and again, like I said, when I started to go down at first, like I looked fine doing it where she apparently in her head was like, I's oh, fine. She's going to go down. It's going to be no fun. She turned it off. So she doesn't have recording. My brother-in-law, her brother doesn't let her live this down. He, every like, every like couple of months would be like, Hey Cass, remember that time that you turned off your video? We could have had that video. So. Oh my gosh. How, like you've had to look pretty cool though, right? Like, the fact that you were able to, like, hit and then get back up and keep running. Like, if I was, like, the brother-in-law, I'd be like, whoa, this guy's, like, a savage. He's the real deal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they saw. I was, like, I saw the white light, but I don't know what they saw. I think, I think they, they all thought I was okay because, like, because I got on my feet, they're like, oh, he's fine. 
I got down to the bottom of the hill and I just like lied down because my back was just screaming from having no skin anymore. And of course, like being, you know, young and not necessarily like understanding my wife went and grabbed the bottle of hydrogen peroxide. I sat on the edge of the tub in her house and they just poured it down my back. It was, that was, oh. rank that one up there with one of the more painful things I've ever done. All right. So, so far we have, don't get a hernia, don't rupture your Achilles and don't pour hydroperoxide down your raspberry back. Never. Yeah. If, if anyone's still listening to the podcast, write those three down. Yeah. It'll save a lot of pain and torture in your life. Yeah. We just gave you money. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Um, one more thing, a little bit off topic, is have you seen those new helmets? They have like those spikes down the middle, like little boys wear them. They're like three or four years old. They're like, it's like a dinosaur type helmet. They're just like oh, yeah. the coolest things ever. I'm like, if I had that growing up, I'd wear a helmet more. Yeah. But like the helmets we had weren't as cool and I never wanted to wear it. They're like the hardened styrofoam with just like one yeah. color on them. They like hurt your head and like made an implant on your temple. It was just like, I'm I'd rather not bike or skateboard than wear this helmet. I'm curious how much those helmets back as kids like actually would have protected your head if it had hit. Like the helmets nowadays like actually kind of like go down around kind of like the base of the skull like towards your ear. You know, they're conformed, there's more padding. Like I wonder like the ones that just really just kind of like sat like around the top of like your hairline. Like if you would have hit, <laughs> would it really have saved you that much? I mean, it's obviously better than nothing, but I'm still thinking it probably would have been pretty dead. Yeah, I, I thought about that. Too. Yeah, like the old school bike helmets you're talking. Like, yeah. I know. It, sometimes I almost wonder if it would like make it worse based on how it like cocks your neck. So like if you fall back, yeah. obviously like, yeah, it's protecting the occiput maybe, but if it like slides up a little bit, which it's going to on impact, I don't know. It, it, yeah. Would injury maybe be worse as a result? Who knows? Oh, okay. Do do a couple different time constraints. We're gonna wrap up the podcast there. Again, if anyone's still listening, you learned a lot in the second half of the podcast, PT or non-PT related. Uh, once again, it's all our podcasts. We never get through the script, so we're gonna have to have you on again. Really appreciate chatting about baseball, upper extremity, lower extremity, COVID, uh, longboarding, the perils or the terrors of longboarding. So. Well, that's everyone again. Thanks for taking time to chat, Taylor, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It was, it was a good time. I'm, I'm happy to come back whenever. You know where I'll be. <laughs> <laughs>